to John Swinfield's Big Business Podcast. And now, let me introduce your host, journalist and writer, John Swinfield. Hello, I'm John Swinfield. Welcome to Big Business. I'm a journalist and television producer, and I've spent much of my life writing and making films about business bosses. I hope you find this pod gossipy, irreverent, informative, and even fun. If you like the feed, please don't forget to click the subscriber button. Big Business is on every week at 11am GMT on Wednesdays. Through writing and making television programmes about business and industry around the world, I've come to know a diversity of fascinating companies and the hugely different people behind them. Some firms began as acorns, which have since grown into giant oaks, while others were more established. Red Letter Days was founded and run by Rachel Elnow. When it began, it looked an entertaining and straightforward idea. It would turn out to be more risky and complicated than had been first imagined. Rachel had recognised that everybody likes giving and receiving presents, and had built a business based on this seemingly simple and alluring premise. Through Red Letter Days, which took a cut, customers could send somebody a gift which was more than a predictable bunch of boring old daffodils, a box of chocolates, or a hamper laden with stuff you'd never want to eat. Red Letter Days could make fantasies come true. It brought out the Walter Mitty in everybody. Drive a racing car, fly in a jet fighter, take a parachute or a bungee jump, be pampered at Champneys, enjoy the view from New York's Empire State, or simply swan around on the Orient Express. She'd started it under the business expansion scheme, in which backers could invest a minimum of £500 or a maximum of £40,000. The scheme offered investors tax advantages. The commercial radio station I founded used the same scheme. Some of the people to whom I recommended the station tipped in the maximum £40,000 and made a killing. It was 1998 when I first wrote about Rachel and Red Letter Day. The previous year, she'd turned over £3 million. In 1998, she was expecting £10 million. The original investors comprised members of her family. Nobody else would back her. Everybody told her to get a proper job. The local Barclays Bank turned her down for a loan of £7,000. She told me, When I walk past there, I often think how stupid they were. At the time, she was employing 50 people and on a £3 million turnover, was making £150,000 profit. At one point, she came as my guest to the annual Businesswoman of the Year contest in London's Claridge's Hotel. She looked around and confided to me, John, it's like a different world. It didn't stay that way for long. Her business took off and Rachel became something of a star. Along the way, there were, inevitably, a few rocky incidents, with complaints about the company and its gifts and service. 
A company such as Red Letter depends on the quality and reliability of the people who supply the gifts and the treats. And like any other business, it's also reliant on the competence of its own people, those who man the phones, take the requests, charm the customers, and generally mind the shop. One day, Rachel got in touch with me and was in a bit of a flap. The dreaded Anne Robinson of the BBC's Watchdog Consumer Show wanted to interview her about complaints which had been sent to the programme about Red Letter Day. I always liked Rachel. I knew her to be not only driven but conscientious. She pulled herself up from her bootstraps and had done well. For all her success, there was no edge to her. She was always engaging and unaffected. Through my company, JSP, she wanted me to give her media training before being grilled by Robinson. Robinson had sharp teeth. At one time, she was married to Charlie Wilson, who was once the deputy news editor of the Daily Mail, under whom I had served as a reporter. If Rachel was spooked by the idea of being done over by Robinson, as a young reporter, I'd been scared witless years before by her husband. Charlie Wilson eventually became the editor of The Times. Anne Robinson went on to host Channel 4's Countdown programme, taking over from my friend Nick Hewer, who used to be Alan Sugar's public relations man and found fame as Sugar's sidekick on the popular TV series The Apprentice. I didn't hesitate in trying to help Rachel. As is the way with such events, it was all very last minute. Crises never happen at convenient times. We met in a hotel in London's Brent Cross, and I put her through the proverbial hoop, asking her a range of scaldingly hot and difficult questions which were virtually impossible to answer. I hadn't seen her for a while, and she was a little shaken up. I gently encouraged her to respond on the programme as honestly and as straightforwardly as she could, to admit that she was not infallible, that if mistakes had been made she was genuinely sorry and upset, and would do her utmost to rectify them. If there were flaws in her case, it was best to admit them. I don't think any of it was especially magical on my part, but I like to think I helped to boost her confidence a little. I reminded her that she was only human, that we all make mistakes, and that she should try and come across as the caring and attentive person I knew her to be. Rachel would never set out to deliberately dupe customers or to deliver anything less than that which had been pledged. She wanted me to go with her to the BBC studio that evening, but I said no, telling her that she would have to face the music alone. Truthfully, I was worried. Having built up her confidence, I didn't, of course, tell her that. Watchdog, though, was at its peak. Robinson was a Rottweiler, and a first-class journalist. She might try and tear Rachel to pieces. From the programme's point of view, 
It was journalistic Holy Grail, a very good story. Here was a fun company that's supposed to deliver happiness and delight and ends up bitterly disappointing its customers. As it transpired, all went well. Rachel later wrote in her book called Business Nightmares, I was four months pregnant with my second son at the time and was so terrified at the prospect that I had to leave the meeting. She'd had a meeting in her office with her advisers to be sick, and I was taken home, throwing up all the way. But we brought in a brilliant media advisor, John Swinfield, who gave me an entire day's media training to prepare me for the ordeal. It actually turned out to be something of a triumph, and when I returned to the office that evening, everyone had chosen to stay to watch the show and to man the phones in case the programme generated any calls. The whole team cheered, and I broke down in tears. That was a watershed moment for the business, and we all made the decision that we would take our foot off the marketing accelerator and focus on getting our systems back in order. Now, she wrote that in her book Business Nightmares, When Entrepreneurs Hit Crisis Point. It was published by Crimson in 2008 and I recommend it. It's a good read. Forgive me for using my name and humble bragging. As I've said, I don't think I brought anything particularly special to Rachel's Dilemma, except perhaps a comforting presence as a worldly and seasoned media operator. Just being with her for an hour or two had probably helped. Rachel's ordeal, as she called it, justified my advice that it's unwise to dispute claims on TV if they're true. The likes of Watchdog will catch cheats out. An apology is worthwhile, but not how they're banded around today, usually in panic and fueled by insincerity. Today's silly fad of radio and TV interviewers, politicians, papers and pressure groups demanding apologies for this or that, often something which occurred on somebody else's watch or happened generations before, is both meaningless and childish. Rachel's book chronicles with candour the sad decline of her company. She achieved stardom, featuring as a judge and putative investor on the BBC TV show Dragon's Den, in which rich, and made-it entrepreneurs invest or don't in starter companies after analysing and sometimes lecturing and hectoring on air their hopeful proprietors. Other judges and investors include the tech titan Peter Jones. Alongside him sat Rachel for a while. Rachel's company had overstretched itself. She's talked of it being hit by what she called a disastrous overexpansion in 2002. And in part, she blames a previous chief executive while she took a non-executive role. In her book, she admits that her finance team lost track of voucher liabilities and debts to suppliers. Red Letter went into administration in 2005 with a balance sheet deficiency of £9 million. Given her high profile, 
it was an especially humiliating fall from grace. Her book notes that the press loved it, and I quote, award-winning entrepreneur who had been judging other hopefuls, calling in the administrators. Red Letter Day's goods and assets were bought by Jones and the dragon Theo Paphitis, a British-Greek Cypriot who made a fortune when he sold Lacenza, an underwear company. He and Jones are said to have joked on the comedian Alan Carr's TV show that they bought Red Letter Day having had a drink or two. Rachel, now the mother of four, would later emerge as a motivational speaker. Having started with little, gone to the moon, hit rock bottom and then picked herself up, her wisdoms are perhaps more credible than many others on the lucrative talking head merry-go-round. You've been listening to Big Business. This is John Swinfield signing off. Don't forget to click on subscribe. I'm on every Wednesday at 11am GMT.